the doctrine of Jesus Christ, we're going to start pretty far back. The pre-incarnate Christ. The idea that Christ existed before his birth. If you ask the average person, they don't know this. They don't understand this. When they think about Jesus Christ, they say, well, when did Jesus come to be? They would say, oh, of course, in Bethlehem, in a manger, when he was born. And, and we understand that the average person would assume that and would think that. But to us who are Bible believers, we should have a better perspective. And I'm shocked sometimes, even at Christians who don't know that Christ existed before he was born. He had a big ministry, an important ministry. We'll talk about it. So there's, a, there's an importance of his pre-incarnation. First is, if Christ came into existence at his birth, then there's no eternal trinity. There is no trinity. And definitely not an eternal trinity. And if Christ was not pre-incarnate, then he could not be God because among other attributes, God is eternal. God is eternal. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. doesn't get more plain, doesn't get more clear than that right there. That in the beginning, God was there. And of course, in verse 14 of John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That referring to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What I find interesting about John 1, John 1, 1, and when you witness to Jehovah Witnesses, if you try to defend that Jesus Christ is God and you whip out your King James Bible and you turn to John chapter 1 and it reads exactly like it's printed up there on the screen, they'll say, oh, oh no, John, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was, was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. The Word was a God. What have they done? What have they done? They have changed the word of God to fit their agenda. And so it's very hard, number one, to argue with the Jehovah Witness. Number two, the second thing about arguing with the Jehovah Witness is this, is that we're not even talking about the same book. Time after time after time, they change the word of God to fit their agenda. And we have great resources, even in our library here, about different cults and even about the Jehovah Witness movement. And you can systematically go back throughout their whole history and find that they changed the word of God over and over and over again when they found that it conflicted with their agenda. Similar to what the Catholic Church does. They take the word of God. They don't have the word of God over the Catholic Church. They have the Catholic Church above the word of God. So I'm thankful that I, I love the King James Bible. There's some great reasons why we use it, and it's been time-tested. It's been proven. I believe that I can hold the King James Bible in my hand, and I can say that this is the Word of God. I'm certain of it. And so the Bible's clear that Jesus was in existence before his incarnation. Of course, if Christ was not pre-incarnate, then he lied because he claimed to be. And then the question arises, what else did Jesus lie about? If he lied one time, we can't believe anything that he says. The evidence of his pre-incarnation, his heavenly origin, John 3, 13, and 31 says, And no man, this is his claim, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. He that cometh from above is above all. 
He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh, speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. He was referring to himself. This is with the topic with Nicodemus, of course. What did he do before his birth? He had some ministries, his work as creator, John 1.3. By the way, why do we normally recommend the book of John to new believers? If you're going to start anywhere, where do you start? John, number one, it hammers out the deity of Christ very plainly, very, very clearly right at the beginning. And there's some major doctrinal truths that are found in the book of John. And if you've never read through the book of John, I highly encourage you to do it. It will change your life if you allow it to. John 1.3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What does it mean to be God? means that you've always been, you always have been, that you've created everything. Can I explain that Jesus has always been? Is it explainable in human words? No, absolutely not. I'm not sure if we'll ever even, maybe, maybe not even in eternity, will we ever be able to wrap our minds truly around the eternality of God. Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Next verse, by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So not only did Jesus go ahead and create everything, but he also is holding everything together, which that's encouraging, very encouraging. His relationship with the Father he says in John 10.30, he says, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. I get a kick out of people who try to explain this verse away and, and try to make it seem like it's something that it's not. In John chapter 10, they wanted to kill Jesus because of this statement. And of course, it wasn't the appointed time for Jesus to die, but they wanted to kill him. People explain this verse away and they, they try to make it sound as if, oh, they just were talking about their relationship, that Jesus and God, they're just a good fit. They, they're, they're really good friends. They have a really good relationship. But that's not at all what Jesus was saying. He was assuming deity when he said, I and the Father are one. And that was an accurate statement because of the Trinity. And so they tried to kill him because of it. John 17, 5, he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That is an absolutely amazing verse. Notice once again, what two books of the Bible is this, are these verses out of? John, the book of John. We notice here his relationship to John the Baptist. This is a super interesting point. John 1, again, and John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Who was born first? John the Baptist. He was paving the way for Jesus Christ, preaching. Of course, he stuck out his finger, I believe, and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And he says, Jesus, yes, he, he came after me, but he was here a long time before me. John understood the eternality of Jesus Christ. And again, this is of whom he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Once again, if he didn't get you the first time, you say, well, he misspoke. No, here it is again. 
just a little bit later in that chapter. Of course, as I mentioned, he was involved in the creation of all things. Another interesting, interesting thing about the work of the pre-incarnate Christ was he was identified on several occasions as the angel of the Lord. And we know this about the pre-incarnate Christ because he assumes a role of God. No angel, I believe, would be foolish enough to try to assume authority that only God possesses. The devil tried to do that, and how did it work out for him? It did not work out good. And so, he speaks as God, he identifies himself with God, and claims to exercise the prerogatives of God. Here's a few examples, Genesis 16. This is when uh, Hagar, this was Hagar and she, of course, ran away. The angel of the Lord found her by the fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain uh, in the way of Shur. And what was going on here is she appear, he appeared to Hagar and said that from Ishmael that there is, he is going to have a great nation. He's going to multiply his seed. And what did Hagar say? Hagar called a few verses later the name, uh, the name of the, the Lord or the name of the angel God seeth me. God seeth me. She was even associating deity with the angel of the Lord there. Again, Genesis 31, 11, And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. Exodus 3, 2, This is the burning bush. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Who was in that fire? Who was that? We would say that that was God, absolutely. And if you... Verses later after this, it says, And God, out of the midst of the bush, spoke to Moses. So, uh, Judges 2, 1, And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt, and I have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Was there an angel that made a covenant that we're not aware about? Who made the covenant? God. God made the covenant. Also, we know a few other instances where, of course, Abraham and that whole back and forth talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and the Lord telling Abraham that he was going to bear a son. And there is speculation as well about the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace and many, many people. I don't believe there's solid evidence about that, but I, I would assume that it is was, in fact, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ that was in the midst there, the fourth person. So the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the meaning of the incarnation, although the word of course incarnation is not in Scripture, its components are. As we talked on Wednesday night, we went over the rapture, and the word rapture is not in the Bible. The word trinity is not actually in the Bible. The word incarnation is not in the Bible, but the concept of it is. And it's in two words, in and flesh. John 1.14, as we mentioned beforehand, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We get the picture that Jesus Christ, God, which the word was God, the word was made flesh. And 1 John 4.2, hereby we know that the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So the Bible does claim that God was clothed in flesh. Some predictions about the incarnation. This is a massive study. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks 
going over all the prophecies about the birth of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ. We don't have time to do that, so I'm going to I'm going to just give you a few highlights. So predictions of the God-man. I put those two things together for a reason. God-man. Jesus was not just an ordinary man like anybody else. He was God in the flesh. This is what Isaiah says. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So who was Jesus? Oh my goodness, he was all those things. He's the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. How is that possible? Because of the Holy Trinity. Predictions, of course, of the virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, he could not have died for the sins of the world would not have been possible. The evidence. When Gabriel announced to Mary that she would bear the Messiah, she protested that she would need a husband. And the angel's response was, in essence, he said, you are not going to need one. Luke 1.35, here's the account of it. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. The Son of God does two things. It really shows a relationship. Remember, Jesus, as we look here in a few moments, somewhere in this lesson, I have a section about that Jesus was our example. And that relationship between the Father and the Son is something that we see between us and God. And so there was a relational aspect of that as well. Some people, they get confused about the terminology and they think, oh, because it's the Son of God, that means that Jesus isn't God. He's just like a child of God. That's not at all. We just looked at some big evidences that Jesus was not just the offspring of God, that he was actually God in the flesh. Some more evidence here. Matthew, he carefully guarded the fact of the virgin birth when he went through the genealogical table, and he recorded that Joseph was the husband of Mary, but he made it clear it was that by Mary Jesus was born. Matthew 1.16, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Very specific in the way that that was written. Paul indicated the virgin birth in Galatians, Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. The Bible makes it clear that for as by one man sin entered into the world, and so death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It was by one man that the sin is carried from person to person to person to person. When Jesus was born of only a woman, it broke that curse. And that's why he was able to die for our sins. It is extremely important. I can't stress it enough. I don't think you can really even be saved without believing in the virgin birth of Christ. There's many people, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, I, be I believe that he died on the cross. Do you believe in the virgin birth? No. There are people who miss it because of that. Now, the genealogies, Matthew and Luke, they both chase trace the genealogy of the virgin birth virgin-born Christ, 
The book of Matthew contains 41 names. The book of Luke contains 77 names. Matthew traces Jesus back to Abraham. Luke goes all the way back from Jesus to Adam. And Matthew's list is Joseph's line. And Luke's list is Mary's line. I believe a few weeks ago that did Pastor Bill teach about the genealogy of Christ? He had some real complex thing, probably went over everybody's head. Do you remember, did he do that on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago? Yeah, that's good. Real good stuff. The purpose of the incarnation, what was it? To reveal God to us. And though God reveals himself in various ways, the incarnation really revealed the essence of God. We get a revelation of God through nature. We get a revelation of God, of course, through his word. But we did get a revelation from the actual birth of Jesus Christ. John 1.18, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is, the, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. John 14.7 says, if ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Because we know Jesus, we know the Father. That's the way the whole thing works. The purpose of the incarnation, again, to provide an example for our lives. Our earthly life, of our, the earthly life of the Lord is, is held up to us as a pattern for us today. 1 Peter 2 makes mention of that. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that we should follow in his steps. And of course, he that sitteth and abideth, in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. From the life of Christ, we have an example. Oftentimes, we try to act like maybe the heroes, maybe especially as, as, a, as a younger person, maybe if you played sports, you had a certain sports hero you really admired, you really wanted to be like, and you tried everything you could. You tried to shoot the basketball like they shot. You tried to run as fast as they ran, do the technique. You even wore the clothes that they wore, thinking it'd make you better. It was just a sales gimmick. And because you wanted to be like that person. And although, although we're never really going to be like those heroes we strive to be after, and some of us, we like to play some tennis, right? And we try to be like the pros. It's never going to happen, but that doesn't stop us from trying, right? Right. And Christ is our example. We're never going to match up to the perfection of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't, that doesn't stop us from trying. That doesn't stop us from doing everything we can to follow in the exact example of Jesus Christ. And when he came and was, was born in the flesh, it left us, left us an accurate, good example of how we can live our lives. Of course, it provided an effective sacrifice for sin. As I already mentioned, we'll skip over that. I'll read the verse, though. By, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It didn't say that we're sanctified. We're not sanctified through doing a bunch of good things. How do people try to explain this away? I'm not sure. It's clear that Salvation only comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Another reason for the incarnation is a promise of God. It was to be able to fulfill the Davidic covenant. Again, as we referenced on Sunday, and even we talked a little bit about it on Wednesday, how that the nation of Israel, they were wanting Jesus to come establish the kingdom right then. They didn't know that there was going to be thousands of years in between 
those two events, but that was the case. And so the incarnation had to do with fulfilling the Davidic covenant, which was that God was going to sit on the throne of David. Still hasn't happened yet, and I believe will happen at the millennial reign of Christ. Gabriel announced to Mary that her son would be given the throne of David. The verse, um, we won't read it for time's sake, but we'll just keep going on. And of course, there are many reasons of the incarnation. Another one to be able to be our high priest. I'm thankful that we don't have to go to a temple, sacrifice anymore, that we don't have to go through another man to get to God. We have access to the Father because of Jesus Christ. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. We do have the nature of Christ. Let me see what time we got. What time do you normally get done? That's what I want to know. Quarter till? I'll go five more minutes. Why not? We'll just keep going. The nature of Christ. The nature of Christ. Of course, we have the humanity. He was a man. Just like you're a man. But he was also God at the same time. So he experienced the same things we experience. He had human names. Jesus, Son of Man, Jesus of Nazareth, the man Christ Jesus. He had a human appearance. We get from, I believe it's Isaiah 53, that we don't believe, according to the Bible teaching in that chapter, that Jesus was very attractive. Normally when you see a picture of Jesus, he's painted all real nice. He looks real nice looking. And that's not, that's not really what the Bible portrays Jesus to be because it says that, you know, we didn't even want to look at him. He wasn't something that we would even want to be, that, that we even desired. And his appearance, I don't believe, was, was very impressive by any means. He possessed essential elements of a physical nature, a body, a soul, a spirit. As I already mentioned, Jesus, again, he was a man. He had infirmities, hunger, thirst, fatigue, weariness, agony. He developed the usual normal way humans develop. And he had human characteristics, humility, love. Of course, he cried when Lazarus, or Lazarus had died. Meekness, and he had balance. What else do we have here? He prayed. He worked. Son of a carpenter. He learned, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Can I explain how all of this takes place? Is it possible for me to sit here and tell you exactly how all that can happen? I don't know. I don't think any of us truly know. But we take the word of God at what it says and believe it. I mean, that's just what we have to hold, hold to. His divine activities, we already mentioned that he creates. He created. He forgives sin. The Pharisees did not like that. He was worshipped and he accepted worship. He will execute judgment. And of course, as we mentioned, he had a divine conception as well. He had divine names. God, the Son of God, Lord, Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. God with us. Jesus Christ, he had a divine appearance as well. Interesting verse, Luke 9, 29. And as he prayed, 
the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Jesus, he had a divine characteristics and more. He's eternal, as we looked at already. He is omnipresent. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. How can Jesus do that if he is not omnipresent? He's omniscient. He knew everything. He knew what people were thinking. Those are the references for the verse. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, immutable. And we're going to stop there. The crucifixion of Jesus, if I do, I believe Pastor said he's going to be back teaching Sunday school next week. But if for some reason it doesn't work out, I will continue on with the crucifixion part of Jesus Christ. There's some very interesting facts, some really interesting things about the trial of Jesus Christ and that it was, the trial of Jesus was illegal. It was illegal and very interesting things that happened uh, during that I'd like for you to take a look at. And so we'll, hopefully, Pastor will be back, but if not, I'll continue on with that. Also, Pastor Strange, who has done many of the Sunday school classes here, has been a blessing, and I know you've loved having him. He is with his sister, from what Pastor Bill told me. He's with his sister who is, seems like she's right at the end of her life. And so he is trying to help her. And so that's taken him kind of out of commission on that. But I'm sure that he will be back too once all that gets in order. So we'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Ask God's blessing on the service. Lord, we thank you for the few moments we're having to look into your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that when man sinned and turned in rebellion against God, that you didn't just forsake us, cast us, cast us out into utter darkness, but that you provided a way and opportunity for us to be saved. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and every uh, horrible, horrific thing that you endured for us. May we never lose sight of that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.